0: Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural episode of Meet the Missionaries, a podcast of Shady Grove Presbyterian Church here in beautiful Durwood, Maryland. Our goal is to glorify God and to share with you how he is working around the world. And we have, as our inaugural guests, uh, two of my favorite missionaries. I don't play favorites, but these are two of my favorites. is Scott and Megan Dillon, who are missionaries with Missions to the World and have been placed in Cusco, Peru for the past 13 years. Uh, In 2014, Scott was the first foreigner ordained in the Reformed Presbyterian Church in Peru, and he's had the opportunity to work closely on an equal level with Peruvian pastors and church leaders because of that. In 2015, they planted a church in the city center of Cusco called Fuente de Gracia, which has been their primary focus of ministry for the past seven years. Scott also teaches virtual classes for the largest Reformed seminary in Peru. They're currently transitioning to Panama City, Panama, where they will be walking alongside a small church that has lost many of their members due to the relocation from the COVID-19 pandemic. Over the next few years, Scott will assist the church in reestablishing the core membership group through discipleship and leadership. And so we are just honored and very, very glad to have you all here, so, so thank you. And to begin with, you know, one of my favorite things when I when I meet fellow believers is sort of hearing about their faith journey so I guess I have a two-part question because in DC we like to ask multi-part questions so first tell us how a little bit about how you came to faith and then how did you decide or when did you feel called to enter vocational ministry
1: well first thanks Pat uh it's honestly it's a privilege to be be a part of this and, and to be here with you all this morning do mm-hmm. yeah. you want to you want to go first there My sure
2: mind. well <clears throat> so good morning I I I grew up in a Christian home. And I mean, my parents were, um, grew up Baptist, one of them and Catholic the other. And so they sort of jokingly say that they met in the middle in the PCA. But no, I grew up um, in a great church and knowing the Lord very young. And then sort of in high school, college, I felt like even though I knew God was real, I really didn't want to live my life for him. I felt like it should be my life. And so after spending some years trying to figure out what the world had to offer me. Um, God used a lot of great people through that church, um, to, excuse me, to, um, just really speak into my life and, um, remind me of the gospel truth. And that's where I met Scott, um, sort of through those years and, um, you know, Scott sort of, I let him tell him story, his story, but he sort of always knew he wanted to be a missionary after coming to know the Lord. And I also, thought missionaries are great. And I definitely don't want to be one of them. <laughs> and so, <laughs> no, I wanted to um, you know, he sort of thought maybe retire to the mission field. And I thought, great, I have 40 years to convince him that's not a good idea. And um, you know, I prayed, you know, if we're going to get married, we really should have our hearts in the same direction. And I asked God to change his or change mine. And he very quickly changed mine. Praise God. No. So sort of my story go
1: ahead and and for me it was was somewhat the opposite so i grew up in a non-christian home pretty agnostic and um i moved around back and forth between my parents because they were they divorced when i was pretty young and so when i moved back with my mom when i was 15 uh you know i I pretty much started over at a new high school in uh, northeast maryland which uh many of our listeners probably have a clue where that is it's probably not hard to figure out based on the name, but it is the very Northeast corner of Maryland, (laughs) uh, just before you get to Pennsylvania or Delaware. And so starting at a new high school, I just met new people and a lot of those new people attended a Bible study at the school. And so I started um, attending the Bible study because some of my friends on the soccer team went there and there was also a young lady that I started chasing, not and, me. which was not <laughs> Megan, unfortunately. Yeah, um, or maybe it was fortunate because it was. Uh, I ended up attending a United Methodist church, where then I went on a retreat uh, called Chrysalis, which is basically a walk to Emmaus for for young adults or teenagers. And it was on that retreat that I was truly just completely confronted with the gospel, mm. and it just radically changed my life. And as Megan said, I, I was I was kind of um, On fire for missions very early in my Christian life, and so I I sought sought out every opportunity to go overseas to do something. Um, And uh, so, in some ways, we have opposite
2: stories,
1: (laughs) but uh, the Lord did bring us together, and we were married in two thousand three. And so, um, it was it was it was pretty soon after that that realized that we realized that the Lord was was preparing us for something. We knew Mm -hmm. that.
0: Well, I'm very glad he brought you two together from what sounds like very disparate backgrounds to do the yeah. things that you're doing now. So so tell what is the primary focus? We heard a little in the intro about sort of the arc of what you've been doing, but what is does what sort of like a day-to-day look like for you guys? What are you focusing on now?
1: Well, uh, so I have served as a pastor, as as you mentioned, Pat, um, of the local denomination. And that there's there's been a lot of good things about that. In fact, that there's I look back over the last 13 years that we've been in Peru, and I think, "Wow, what have we done right?" Um, and I, I think that's one thing that I can say, you know, I, I think that I would recommend that to anyone looking to do foreign missions, is to, you, you really have to be extremely intentional at, at lowering the idea of the missionary. Missionaries are so often viewed as <clears throat> special gift, specially gifted people that come with a lot of resources. And, and most places outside the US, you're talking about a uh, honor shame culture. So you're talking about a patron client relationship. And so it's very easy for missionaries to hold leadership positions when what they really want or should want is to be able to be equals with nationals. And so being, a, being ordained in the Presbyterian denomination of Peru it, it probably didn't accomplish that 100 percent right but at least it got us closer to that and so my role has really i've i've, I've tried to i've tried to seek out to be um just like approving in that sense of what does a peruvian pastor do what does that what does that look like and and how can i participate in that obviously maybe challenging um them in some areas of of deeper study or more academic preparation you know some of these things but at the end of the day my what our our days I try to make our days look like uh, a lot of other peruvian pastors would and so um, meals are connection points always you always you always have good food. Um, And so uh, probably about five or six times a week we're either eating lunch or having dinner with somebody. Um, Having people in our house usually two or three times. Uh, two or three nights a week, and so those are those are opportunities for discipleship counseling or kind of a little mix of both. And um, mornings are usually free because people are busy at work, and uh, that that's really our time to to do any kind of admin work or uh, personal time for that kind of thing. but after you know after lunch, uh, things can be really busy, which which can make it hard because our kids are in school during the day, they're homeschooled, but they're still busy at home. And then uh, their nights are free and our nights are usually pretty busy. Um, But that's that's kind of how life is here for many Peruvian pastors. And so we've tried to really kind of uh, uh, join them in that, at least so that our lives look contextual, you know.
2: Yeah. And you said the kids nights are free, but I would add to that the kids afternoons are very busy. They're doing uh, soccer or dance or music classes and that has been a, a great point of getting to meet some of the other parents um, or families you know our kids have lots of friendships through those means so that's just another added thing for yeah. I think our normal day to today yeah okay yeah. I- Oh yeah sorry. Yeah I wanted to say something in context of what you are doing uh well where you were living those 13 years in Peru. Uh what was the or has been the biggest unexpected challenge of your mission work that would be very interesting to know because of course you were mentioning that um uh, missionaries shouldn't expect too much probably versus the reality that they are going to encounter. So please could you tell us something about that?
1: Yeah yeah so there's been lots of challenges obviously just in the ways that the lord has broken down our own hearts and our own idolatries um when you when you see idolatries in other cultures i can't say it's guaranteed but it it definitely highlights your own idolatries in your own culture and so you're forced to confront that a little bit and um So one of the challenges that we've seen specifically here in Cusco Cusco has been, this was the center of Incan worship for who knows how many years. Um, The Spanish conquista wasn't exactly um, kind to the indigenous people of Peru. And so there's this like mixed sense of are we Hispanic? Are we Spanish? Are we Quechua? We're not really sure. Both of those cultures are lost. The Catholic Church has completely syncretized with the Indian religion, so you can worship Mary and Pachamama, the mountain god, at the same time. There's no problem with that whatsoever. And so, I think one of the challenges has been is that the spiritual soil of Cusco ha- has been hardened for so many years um, with religious confusion, uh, a lot of doubts. Uh, Christianity. Everyone's religious. So, I mean, you can, you could stop anybody on the street and and say, Hey, do you want to talk about Jesus? And they're more than happy to do that. So
2: they know mm-hmm. who he is for sure. Yeah. And yeah.
1: so um, there's, there's a lot of open doors in that sense. However, uh, because that soil is so rich with clay and it's interesting that the literal physical soil of Cusco has tons of clay and rock, <laughs> mm-hmm. the spiritual soil as well, it, it, it makes it so that there has to be a long-term investment in that relationship to oh, right. see gospel growth mm-hmm. and you can you can invest in a discipleship relationship with someone for two years and then see them completely walk away from the faith um you know it's <clears throat> like an existential approach uh to proving culture y- you would easily understand why there's a theology of losing one's salvation in the christian church here because there are so many people that come participate and almost everybody has had some kind of protestant experience at some point in their life Um, but are they making radical decisions on that faith are they growing daily or even you know regularly in their relationship with the lord that's a whole other question and so one of the big challenges has been you know we as americans and I used to work at a factory where I was the efficiency expert. So this is like an <laughs> idol of my heart. So like we, we tend to like things very like efficient, right? So,
0: yes. hey,
1: it's a, it's a lot easier yeah. to get 20 people in a room mm-hmm. and to just teach on the book of Galatians. And everybody's going to get a little bit of Galatians and we all can go home. Um, well, that really doesn't work. I mean, you can do that here and people will come and listen. And we actually had a period in the church where we we had Bible studies, we had men's women's groups, we had youth ministry, and they were all well attended. But as leaders, we were stepping back going, but is there growth? Like, is this really achieving our goals? And we stopped every single activity, which they didn't like that decision. But I said, we have to stop every activity except for Sunday services. And we're going to go to one-on-one discipleship. And it's going to be weird, it's going to feel extremely inefficient because you're going to, you're going to study the same chapter of Galatians with, you know, Pablo, and then go do it with Juana and, 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 and it seems inefficient to have to repeat yourself to five different people, but that one on one relationship, we saw, we saw, I mean, just incredible amounts of growth. Vast beyond what we were seeing in the group context. Um, and so that has been, I think that has been a real challenge to 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 be able to invest in people and know that that investment can be a long time and not have fruit. Um, that that could be discouraging anyway, you know, that, so that's a real challenge.
2: Yeah. Do you think you're better prepared then for the next mission to Panama? I think what we see is that we're better prepared in knowing that we might not know what it's going to look like in Panama, mm-hmm. we might have to change to something we hadn't even thought of here in Cusco. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think we're a little bit more flexible than before, maybe. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we've we, we've we've uh, we've had a we've had, I think, a healthy value of of just not seeing precedent as um, you know, not giving it too much influence. You know, precedent can 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 be really good, and we don't we don't want to reinvent the wheel on anything but um missions missions has had missions is a slow science that I don't think has been developed enough uh for us to have any clue what we're doing. so I think at some level, you have to realize you have to try some new things, and to add on to that, I think one thing that the Lord has prepared in us is like Megan said, being able to to do being willing to try new things and, and to to find new ways to engage people that's meaningful to them, you know, we, we, we know, we know we need to contextualize, but oftentimes contextualization just means taking whatever we do in the States and putting it in Spanish. But that's not, <laughs> yes. that's like, that's hardly contextual. Um, yeah. We have, so for example, like if we have a Cuscanian couple over to our house for lunch, that's not a one hour lunch. They're there from 1230 to four maybe yeah. five yes. so
2: yes
1: so you know you have to you have to be mentally emotionally <laughs> ready and prepared yes. for that because you can't exactly. this is I mean, we said we and we we've been here 13 years and I think we said it like three weeks ago we were like we have to stop inviting people for lunch and someone else for dinner <laughs> because we can't do it we Can't do yes much, you know? yes
2: <laughs> those relationships are very important that's for sure yeah yes. <laughs> yeah Mm
0: -hmm. yeah so scott and megan you talked about before the recording started that you're going to be moving from cusco to panama in mid-june right that's right So, so that means there's going to be a huge shift in your schedule so can you tell us a little bit what your typical day looks like now and how it might affect and change later in panama
1: that's a good question and there's some of that that's unknown for us a little bit I will say I think my role in general will stay the same. So um, I'm currently the the lead pastor for the church plant here in Cusco, and even before the pandemic, we we knew that we had to begin transitioning out. I had to begin transi- transitioning out of the leadership of that role, um, and then the pandemic hit, and of course, the, all of our lives went upside down. But um, as we as we transition to Panama. The, the, the church there was planted about six, seven years ago, and it was and I don't know if this was, was intentional, but the, most of the church were immigrants. They were other people that you know come into Panama. And obviously Panama City has a lot of immigrants anyway. Uh, but because of that, when the pandemic hit, a lot of those it, Panama made it very difficult for the immigrants to stay. And so they lost their visas during that time, and because they didn't have jobs, they had to leave. And so about 80% of the church had to relocate out of Panama. Mm-hmm. And um, so now the church is down to about 20 people. and. My role will really look very similar as it does here in Cusco. I I I want to avoid the title of lead pastor, but I think that's my American mentality because the second we're there and I'm a pastor and I'm there, I'm the pastor. There's
2: no avoiding there's
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I can write my job description in, you know, any big bold letters and it's not gonna matter. So um my goal My goal there is uh, to assist them, walk them through there is already some leadership established, which is great, uh, and so my hope is that I can walk alongside them, really empower them, give them lots of agency in making decisions for the church, and just and just walk them through a transition period where they can kind of re not reinvent the church because there 's no need to you know reinvent the philosophy of ministry or you know or anything like that but um to reestablish themselves as a core group and and to begin reaching out uh to more Panamanians uh, when we visited there in early april i asked the the church leadership what they felt like was one of their biggest challenges and that's what they said they said we feel like we're not we're not doing a good enough job at actually reaching the people of panama city so um
2: and i think they want to they want to learn. They want to become the learners now and figure out how to reach the Panamanians, yeah. because while they're a church leadership and it seems like they should be, you know, the nationals, they aren't. They aren't Panamanian most of them, and so they really want to become missionaries in a sense, which yeah. is really cool.
0: Yeah, that is that is really cool. So I'm I'm going to take a small break here. I realize that you know one of the things that happens when you're doing an inaugural podcast is there are things you're going to forget. So I forgot to introduce the other people. Uh, who are on here uh, with us. So we have uh, Juan Lamy, who asked the last question, and Katia Beatty, thank you both for attending. And I don't even think I introduced myself. I'm Pat Young uh, with the Missions Committee of Shady Grove. So there, so there he goes. We got that business taken care of right there. Uh, and so, you know, you mentioned that the reason, one of the reasons that you've been called to Panama is because of the impacts of COVID-19 there. Uh, but of course, we know this is a global pandemic. Certainly, it must have had impacts in, in Cusco for you all. And, and so you had a long... You know, beginning right. So you were there many, many years before the pandemic, and then you've seen this last two or three years. So what what has changed for you all in the midst of all that? How has that been in, in Cusco and for you personally, as well as your ministry?
1: How has the pandemic changed ministry? Yes. Well, it's really interesting. I feel like um, there's this. Uh, I, I can't put my finger on it, but and I, I wonder. I wonder how how this looks in other cultures, but here especially uh Peru closed down pretty pretty hard we were under forced quarantine couldn't leave your house for about 10 months and then easily another six months um that you you couldn't do a whole lot so we had no church for probably 18 months um and even then I mean it's just been it's life was really hard for people. And I mean, when you take, um, I think the statistics suggested that uh, at least outside Lima about only about 40% of the population have refrigerators. So you're talking about a culture that is used to accustomed to going every day to the market to get food. You Mm -hmm. just don't, you don't buy food for the week. You don't do that. Right. And, and so, uh, the, the pandemic really, really shocked, I think, the culture here because the people couldn't do that. Um, and because there was no work now, post pandemic, everybody is working like crazy. Uh, and so before the pandemic, we could have, you know, a Tuesday night Bible study or something like that, or, you know, Wednesday night was worship team practice. Well, nobody has time anymore. Um, both spouses are working, doing whatever they can. And, and I don't think it's necessarily that they even need the money now. I think there's a, I think there's a mentality. There's a, there's a Mm post-traumatic mentality of, I I need, I need to work as hard as I can so that if things get shut down again, we're going to, we're going to be okay. Um, And so in a lot of ways, I, I think it's, Good in the sense that it has forced it has forced more ministry to be more personal. Um, So, so even though we did stop doing activities that at one point that was that was a handful of years ago, we did we did come back to having you know youth ministry Saturday nights and all that stuff. Um, And we don't have any of that now we don't have any activities outside of Sundays Sunday services. Um, And all of ministry then has become some really small groups we have some cell groups that meet um but all all of it toward more personal closer to two two two-on-one or or one-on-one meetings um which as i said i think i think that's good i think it's good in that sense the difficulty with that is you don't have as many workers for the field Mm -hmm. you know we probably have three or four uh people that can lead a small group like that um so if you have three or four people meeting one-on-one with people, you're not meeting the whole congregation, which is which makes it hard, makes it really challenging. You know?
2: Well, the I think what's interesting, too, is post-pandemic, we had people that were coming to the church that have just completely dropped off. We haven't seen them in a long time. Well, some of them moved away. They had to move closer to family members in other cities. We also had a lot of students that were medical students that then had to go do residency in another city. However, we've also seen a lot of growth. Our church is now larger here than it was before the pandemic. And we have a lot of new families, a lot of new people, and that's been really great. Like the Lord is using this to challenge people in their faith and bring them to um, a more dependency on him, which is awesome. I'm so overjoyed that people want to come to Fuente de Gracia. They really do. I think the people who are there love the church. They really do.
0: And that's something that I've heard from other other people, as the people that remain or the people that come are a bit more invested. Some of the the social reasons to go to church kind of went away, and so it was more of a heart issue that we're bringing people in. And, and it does sound like that some of the one on one was where you guys were headed with removing some of the larger activities, trying to get more into the focus of life on life discipleship, which you know, you, you mentioned that as being a problem in the Peruvian church. I would say that's a problem, at least in the American church. I don't know about the global church, uh, yeah. but, you know, programs are, are easy and you can get books that tell you how to do it. And, and one-on-one discipleship takes a lot of investment and time. And we're all broken, sinful people, as you mentioned, even the missionaries and people were ministry too. And so I, I think uh, that gets more complicated and difficult. And so, yeah. uh, you know, and, and God is often used, kind of the shaking up of the church to grow the church in many good ways. And so I'm hopeful that that's what's going to happen uh, with you guys in, in Peru and maybe in Panama, where there sounds like there's been an equally big, big shake up there. Um, as you think about missions, because, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this, right, it's going to be at least initially, it's going to be people who go to Shady Grove, people who are sort of mission inclined, if you will. Some of these folks will have done long term missions. Many of them will have done short term missions and so I think a lot of people will have an idea in their head about what it's about what and this is this is a little bit of a sparking question so if you want to skip it that's okay but what do you think most people get incorrect about about mission work uh, and and how could we correct that that thinking and making it more a right or more biblically aligned thinking about mission work?
1: Well, I will relate this to uh, one of the one of the young men. I say young man. I think he's thirty. <laughs> to that me, he's young to guess. me, and maybe not to
0: Juan. I don't
1: know. That's right. he's part of our our uh, session. He's a great guy. He's a dentist. Um, love him to death, and and I and Megan and I have have told him just I mean a dozen times. When are you going to start preparing to be a pastor? Um, you know, we we rotate all the leadership as far as preaching responsibilities. And and so, uh, I mean, he just has the gifts to preach, to, to connect with people on a very personal level. Uh, he knows people, he knows the culture of Cusco, and he loves people. And so every single time we impress on him, like when are you, when are you gonna consider being a pastor? He's oh no, 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 no. That's, that's just not my calling, it's not my calling. And I, I literally I confronted him one night, I said, um, I said, "Look, you I said, "Who gave you the gifts that you have? Like these gifts of preaching, leadership, administration, discipleship, Who gave you those gifts? You know, of course, God. OK. So God gave you the gifts that line up with being a pastor, but God's not calling you to be a pastor. Is that what you're suggesting? You know, and, uh, you know, he just kind of laughed at me and I I think, I think one thing people get wrong about mission work or missionaries is that we think, I don't know what we believe God's calling is, you know, if God's going to, you know, ring us on the phone or something. And um, like, we have a special hotline or God pulls a name out of a lottery hat or something. But at the end of the day, God gives us gifts to do, to do work in the church to be to be of service to god's kingdom and a lot of times those gifts line up with very specific even vocational areas of ministry uh that it's it's easy to kind of miss that but you know if if someone has a heart for the nations uh, they love working with people cross-culturally they really enjoy getting to know other cultures They love sharing the gospel and investing in other people. I mean, come on. That's like, that's if we're looking for a formula, that's it. That's the calling for mission work. I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. He says, God does not have to come and tell me what I must do for him. He brings me into a relationship with himself where I hear his call and understand what he wants me to do, and I do it out of sheer love for him. So, when people say that they have had a call to foreign service or to any particular sphere of work, what they mean is that their relationship to God has enabled them to realize what they can do for God. And so I think I think that's one of the there's no mission gene. There's no special training that someone can have. Uh, god, God prepares our hearts for this and and you know we're we're called to obey. What would you mm-hmm. say? What would you say people get wrong about missionaries and mission work? I've got a lot.
2: yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think that's right. Just I mean, even looking at my own life, like I didn't want to be a missionary for a long time, and I love the Lord. but you know, he does he does that work in our hearts. and so you can look at someone and think, oh, they've been they've wanted to do this for a long time or they felt the call when they were little. And that is some people's story. That is true for some people, but it doesn't mean it has to be true for everyone. And I think, Sometimes also we think only people who are pastors can be missionaries or only people who have this certain professional training can be missionaries. And that's just also not true. Um, Some of the people we work with here are pastors or, you know, in the new in in our new field in Panama, um, they're not pastors, but they're investing in the church and they love the people and they're making an impact. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity out there. I think that's one thing.
0: Mm-hmm. that's that's great so it sounds like that getting to know god's will begins with getting to know him that's, that's right sort of my my simple thing yeah that's great so just from hearing you guys today i think it's very evident that you guys are doing so much for the community in Cusco, peru but what i want to know is how can we the church be a blessing and how can we support you in your mission work
1: well we've really uh Grown a lot over the years and seeing the power of prayer. Um, you know, as members of the reformed tra- tra- tradition, we tend to underappreciate a little bit, if I could say that, um, how a sovereign God who has planned out everything, uh, how a sovereign God can use prayer. And, you know, we rightly talk about how prayer is mostly maybe focused to change us and I, there's a lot of truth to that but we also see a lot of examples in scripture where god specifically ordains the use of prayer to accomplish something and and so you know one one way this always seems like the easy answer right to just ask people to pray but when supporters and supporting churches pray for their missionaries they're you, you know you're going before the father asking to break up that hard clay soil. And, you know, John, John makes it very clear that if we, if we ask anything according to God's will, that he hears us. And so we have this confidence, right? We have this confidence that if, if we're asking according to God's will, so if anything, we should ask a lot of things because maybe we don't know God's will, but if, but if we're able, but if we're asking constantly, um God maybe is ordaining the use of Shady Grove Church and, and her prayers for the the releasing of, of years of you know spiritual bonds of of Cusco. And and not only that, but when someone prays for from their missionaries, and if they can pray like with their newsletter, you know, reading names of people that they're working with, they can pray by name for people. That is a huge connection um, to them. And that, that I think is undervalued when we're able to pray when, when, you know, it's easy to kind of pray for like, Hey God, can you just save everybody on earth? Amen. That I don't want to say that's it's a bad prayer because maybe, but it's close, you know, but when we pray, when we pray specifically <laughs> for people, uh, you know, by name and that kind of thing, we're, we're drawn into connection with them. Uh, in a way and and honestly that that is truly the way we w- always have wanted to see our ministry our our goal is to break down the walls between the nations so obviously having people pray um, for the field is just it's it, it's it's so it's so important um and valuable for us um, mm-hmm. another another great way is to visit I know that you know as things He's up from the pandemic and everything and travels a little bit easier and airlines don't want to gouge us for everything. Um, there might be opportunities for people to visit the field. And we've always felt and Shady Grove has visited Cusco. And I know, uh, you know, we, we have supporting churches that have never visited Cusco and I can just tell you that the, the, the tangible difference really of relationship that we have with like shady grove and with other churches that have never visited cusco is is incredible um those visits those personal investments in your missionaries um just catching up with them you know asking them how they're doing those are all just wonderful things
2: i mean even just following up to like hey i was praying for so-and-so in your newsletter how are they doing even reaching out and asking, is there anything we can do to follow up to pray differently or more specifically? And also, I think I haven't really fully developed this idea, but as I'm sitting here thinking and reflecting, one of the cool things that would happen is that as a result of interacting with us, with our newsletter, praying that that people would then go and, and I'm going to say, behave the same way in your community, reach out to people in a similar way, ask ask those around you for prayer for specific people that you're trying to reach or minister to or disciple in your own communities, and then have that become like the snowball effect of discipleship and prayer for new believers and for people that would just be such a huge blessing to us to know that, that it didn't stop with just that connected connection with the missionaries, you know, that it would go out to the communities as well.
0: Yeah, Megan, I think that is a a great word and actually a great place to to end. And there's, I just want to kind of wrap up a few things for people who maybe joined later, fast forwarded through some of the early parts. The things that I really enjoyed uh, that you guys said, you talked about intentionality, you know, really having to focus on how you're going to do this. Uh, And I think that 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 is critical for us in our our walk with God and our personal ministries here, having to confront your own idols uh, as you start to do this and seek this. uh, You know, we all we all have them, and I think God tends to reveal them uh, one at a time, maybe, so we're not overwhelmed by all of them. <laughs> you know, that's a, that drawer is deeper than I think a lot of us anticipate that it's going to be when we start digging through there, uh, that it's a long-term thing, uh, you know, that, that, that there's some initial excitement when you get started, but there's, there's genuine work, uh, and that there's a lot of challenges that come, but, you know, through... Uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace, you know, we're able to persevere and and see real fruit as that soil gets broken up by us and and the people who partner with us. Uh, And the thing I really liked uh, that you said, or implied at least, was doing things with people, you know, being co-equal, walking beside them. I think a lot of times the things that I've personally done wrong or seen, you know, done wrong was doing things uh, for people or two people, which is probably the worst form of that, right, here's what I'm going to imp- impose on you, right, as opposed to walking with them, and, and I heard a lot of listening, uh, a lot of prayerful consideration in what you were saying, and so I, I think, as Megan said, you know, that's something that that we can apply immediately uh, to our own context here, uh, you know, in suburban Maryland uh, here, and so I want to thank you all uh, for what you've been doing, uh, for heeding God's call, right, uh, and listening to do that, and serving faithfully for so many years in Peru, and soon, uh, to be Panama. To the listening audience, uh, if you've liked what you've heard, please consider sharing it with a friend. I want to thank our theme music composer, Reflex Emba, for his song Details, which opened this up. Our audio engineer, uh, who has been silently making sure everything works well, Becca Locos, there on the wheels of steel. And, and until next time, I want to thank everybody for joining us, and I look forward to speaking with you on Meet the Missionary, a Shaded Grove podcast. God bless